Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 13 and uh, verse 10. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. In the New King James, it reads this way. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? His disciples was a very, uh, uh, a, a very intimate group. His disciples were those that followed him. They were with him, sun up to sundown, traveled with him, location to location. Uh, they were a very close group. And they began to recognize that you talk to the others or the outside group, the multitudes, uh, a little different than you talk to us, the way that you share and the way that you communicate. And you are using this topic of parables or this type of construct, and Jesus was really the first to introduce parables, short teachings, uh, teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, the elders, all these guys, they didn't teach the law uh, in a form of parables. Parables were short stories using a lot of analogies, and parables were designed to utilize physical, natural elements to explain spiritual truths. Parables were used to uh, share and uh, teach physical or, or spiritual truths utilizing natural or physical elements. Everyday objects, Jesus used coins and fishing nets and crops and fields and homes. And Jesus used everyday terminology uh, to explain kingdom truths or uh, uh, spiritual truths. He didn't come you know, trying to get you to understand up here. He brought it down to you. But he did it in a form that not everybody picked up on. Parables were actually a double-edged sword. Because even though the goal was to simplify and make more aware or bring more attention to a spiritual truth, for those that disregarded truth and for those that did not want to hear the truth or did not want to receive the truth, it actually pushed them further away. It actually caused a separation. And so regardless of how simple Jesus tried to make the kingdom, regardless of how simple he tried to communicate on people's levels, there were always uh, uh, those that would reject or not receive what Jesus tried to bring. You understand that there was a responsibility on the part of the hearer to prepare themselves to receive the word of God. Because here's the thing that was different about Jesus versus teachers of the law. Teachers of the law came to inform. Jesus came to transform. Teachers of the law came to give you information. But Jesus came with a completely different message and a different mission, much deeper than just informing you of something. He wanted to transform you by something. And the Bible tells us that if we will renew our minds to the word of God, we'll be what? Transformed in our lives, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. But do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Jesus was not just interested in getting you information. And let me tell you, from the beginning of time, man was never designed to live and operate off of information only. And in a very information-hungry culture that we live in today, information, knowledge can puff up, can make proud. But I find that the more that I allow the word of God to transform my life, the more humility begins to set in. The opposite of pride. Information will make you prideful, but transformation will make you humble. 
Transformation puts me in a state of recognizing I don't have it all together. I don't know it all. There's much more to learn, much more to discover. I never have it all figured out, but I want to be teachable and I want to grow and I want to learn. But the more informed we become, the less teachable we become. The more informed I become, the less teachable I become, and teachability is what allows me to become transformed, is, allows me, uh, is what allows me to become changed in my life, where my actions, my behavior, my attitudes, my responses become adjusted. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week, and the Holy Spirit comes to empower you and to enable you, but the Holy Spirit always works with what's on the inside before he starts working with what's on the outside. The Holy Spirit comes to adjust what's on the inside. Before he changes your situation, he changes your attitude. He changes your thought process. He'll start convicting you and confronting you and challenging you. Amen. He sure does. He sure does. You want him to. You want him to work in aligning yourself with the kingdom, aligning yourself with God's thoughts, aligning yourself with God's purpose. You and I do not have God's intention by ourselves. You and I cannot wake up tomorrow and say, all right, I want to think like God. But the Holy Spirit can empower you to align your will and your agenda and your plans and your purposes with his plan. And so Jesus came with a different, miss- different message and a different mission, not just to simply inform people of the kingdom of God, but to demonstrate it and ultimately transform people by the kingdom of God. So his disciples are recognizing, wait a minute, you're, you're sharing these short stories. You're talking to them in parables. Why do you do it this way? In verse 11, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. That's interesting. It's interesting for a couple reasons. Number one, we usually think of Jesus as a very, uh, you know, inclusive type of guy. All are welcome and all are appreciated and all are valued. And for God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son and he came to die for all and he came to live for all and he came to give you all and everybody's included. But now this type of talk is very exclusive. This type of talk draws a line in the sand. This type of talk says there's a us, line drawn, there's a them. There's something that you have access to that they don't yet have access to. Now here's the thing. With Jesus talking this way, he's not excluding the possibility of, any being, of anyone being able to join these ranks or join this mission or join this cause. But he's simply recognizing that not everyone will. He's simply identifying that although everyone is welcome to bring themselves to our side, not everyone will pay the price. Not everyone will make the sacrifice. Not everyone will take the necessary steps to bring them on this side, where to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Why is he talking this way? Well, he's recognizing first off that there are his disciples, his followers, that have made a greater and stronger commitment than the multitude's. And I would challenge each of us today to look inward and to discover, are we a part of the multitude crowd? Are we fans of Jesus? Or are we followers of Jesus? Are we fans that show up when it's exciting? Because Jesus knows he's going to the cross by himself. And even though I may be on the side of a mountain right now talking with multitudes, thousands upon thousands of people. I'll die alone. 
Because sacrifice always eliminates. Sacrifice always cuts down. Sacrifice always gets to who is really engaged. Who's really connected? Am I a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Or am I a part of the multitude? That when it's exciting and when there's everybody else is doing it and when it's convenient and when it's comfortable, I follow Jesus. But when it becomes inconvenient and people start questioning me and people start challenging me and people start calling me a lunatic and a crazy person and, oh, you're one of those churchy religious people, am I still going to stand with him? Not only that, but these disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They left everything. The sacrifice was made. They, they paid the price. They left their jobs. They left their families. They left their parents. They left society. They left their homes. They left familiarity. They left their comfort. They left everything they knew to get up and follow this man that said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And something about that agenda and something about that mission was compelling enough that these individuals would leave, abandon all to follow him. And even still, he told them, one day you'll have to take up your cross and follow me. But we're just getting started. You want to follow me? You're going to follow me into death and you're going to follow me by taking up your cross and you're going to follow me by laying down your will. And you're going to follow me by not following people and not following popularity and not following convenience and not following what feels good. You're going to follow me when no one else will. And so because of that, I've discovered this, knowledge always comes at a price. Knowledge always comes at a price. For these disciples to be counted worthy of knowing the mysteries of the kingdom of God, there was a price to be paid. Even for Paul, who was Saul. Saul was murdering Christians. Saul was putting Christians in jail and prison. Saul was making sure that the message of Jesus uh, would not continue on and would not be thrust forth. But Jesus ultimately knocks him off of his horse one day, blinds him with the light and says, no, you're actually gonna be one of my greatest assets for the kingdom of God. I'm gonna take this zeal and I'm gonna take this passion and I'm gonna take uh, uh, this endurance that you have and, and, and this inward uh, thrust that you have and I'm gonna use it for my glory and it's gonna come with much tribulation. It's gonna come with much trial and much suffering but because of you, churches and the gospel is gonna be taken all over the world. But even for him, there was a sacrifice for him to grow and to discover and to recognize, learn, and learn more. There was always a price to be paid. The multitude wasn't willing to pay that price. The multitude wasn't willing to take those steps. The multitude wasn't willing to lay down their cross. And the same multitude that followed him at one point, at one point I mean, in, in, in you're talking about within a seven-day period, one day they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Later that week, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Fairweather fans, bandwagoners, just following Jesus for convenience. No, the disciples didn't come in for what they could get. The disciples came in for what they could give. And because of that, he says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. He goes on to say this, for whoever has, to him, more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is probably one of the most unfair statements in life, I mean, okay, so whoever has, more will be given, and he's going to live in abundance and prosperity. And if you don't have, I'm going to make sure that even what you do have is taken away. But he's not talking about physical things. He's not talking about money. He's not talking about wealth and status. He's talking about revelation. Because again, Jesus did not come merely for information. He came for revelation. 
Revelation is what transforms you and I. We can sit in these set settings with teaching and, and, and sermons and series and we, we can heap them up just as the Bible tells us in the last days they'll heap up for themselves teachers. We can create such, uh, 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 we, we, we can bring so much of it together, but until the word is revealed to you, it will not change you. Until it's made alive to you, until you open your heart to it. This is on the back end of a parable that he just told. It's the parable of the sower. Really ought to be called the parable of the soil because the only thing that changes in the four instances that he gives is the soil. We have a sower and we have seed. We have a sower, we have seed, and we have soil. But in all four instances, there's one that's stony ground, the wayside. There's one that uh, uh, is the ground that ends up choking it out because the seed doesn't go down and take root. Then we have the seed, then we have the soil that is good ground. And it's in the ground that is good that the seed goes in and it ends up producing a harvest. And so he's giving this parable and he's helping us recognize that we have a large role to play in receiving the word of God. You and I have such an enormous role to play. I, I almost wish that in some way I could help prepare you week in and week out for this moment right here. Because if we're not careful, this will become like any other Sunday. And this will be like any other message. In any message you hear, and you will not allow the word of God to go in. Yes, the word of God is powerful. Yes, the word of God can change your life. Yes, the word of God. It's one word from God that can change your life forever. Do we believe that? But yet even Jesus' own ministry proves to us that not everybody who hears the word will receive it. Not everyone who hears the word will be transformed by it. Not everyone that hears the word. In fact, it was the majority. I mean, if we put Jesus's ministry on the standards today in 2020, we would call him a failure as a pastor and as a leader. Yeah. His church wouldn't be one of these that's booming and growing and is worldwide and got just flocks of people coming to it. It'd be a small little group. And Jesus wasn't after the multitudes. Jesus wasn't after a large group of people. Jesus was after disciples. Jesus wasn't after conversions. Jesus was after followers of Christ. This is an enormous step. This is a great step to find a local church to connect to, a body to become one with where you can serve and you can lend your gifts and your services and you can come and worship God and what a great freedom we have in our country to do so. Amen. But ultimately, this is an education system. Church services, because you recognize that church is not an event and church is not something you put on a calendar. And church is not a building with a sign on it that says blank, blank church. Church is a people. People, you and I, the people of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, chosen generation, you and I, a people group that reveal and represent the kingdom of God on earth. But you and I have some learning to do. You and I have some growing to do. You and I have some transforming to do. And God, it, God did not wait for you to get all your stuff together before he said, okay, you can be my people. You can be my church. You can be my group. That's who I've picked. He picked the dirtiest, messiest, brokenest, if that's a word, the junkiest, 
people and said, I will put my spirit in you. I will bring my spirit upon you and you will carry out the same works and even greater works than my son did. What an, what an awesome message. He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God has put his life and his spirit in you so that you can go out and represent him to a lost and dying world. But we need systems like this. We need this. I mean, I, I hear the statistics as a pastor. I know the numbers that are out there of how many are leaving the church. More people are leaving the church today than ever before. More millennials are, are disconnecting and not engaging in church and blah, 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 blah. Whatever. This is still the answer for a lost and dying world. The local church still and will always be the hope of the world. It's what Jesus came to establish. And so we need these opportunities where we're hearing the word. But the problem is, is if we're not careful, and I try to be careful with this, and I try to be careful with the weight and the attention and the value that I give because I understand I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to think this is important. But I don't do this because it's my employment. I don't do this because I make a check. I don't do this for anything other than to see people fully equipped and empowered to live the kingdom life. But we need these opportunities where we're hearing the word. But if we're not careful, we'll get into these settings and it'll become formality. It'll become familiar. It'll become routine. And we forget that there's an equipping and a nurturing and a feeding of our spirits. And in Matthew chapter 13, he's trying to help his disciples as well as the multitudes recognize that you have a responsibility. In fact, that's, that word responsibility is the ability to respond. That's what that literally means. Responsibility is my ability to respond. I know that I carry a lot of weight this morning. I mean, I have a, probably 120-ish faces, eyeballs looking at me right now, receiving a word. Hey, Mario, love you, man. Receiving the word of God. And I've given much care and much attention to preparing the word to deliver it. You've heard me say this before. That as a hearer, we ought to give the same care and attention to prepare our hearts to receive it. It's not an option. It's a necessity. I need the soil of my heart prepared to receive the seed of the word. I need the soil of my heart tilled and ready to receive the seed of the word. Because if it's not, I will actually force it out and it will become unproductive and unfruitful in my life. And so he's helping them recognize why is he talking in these parables? It's a double-edged sword. It's to help those that want to receive, it draws them in. Those that don't want to receive, it actually pushes them further away. Because there's no gray area with God. There's no one foot in, one foot out with God. You're either all in, you're all out. But God wants to take us so much further. Hearing the voice of God, recognizing the voice of God, Knowing the voice of God is paramount to the life of the believer. Hearing, knowing, and recognizing the voice of God is paramount to the voice of the believer. To think that I would come into a kingdom ruled by a king but yet I don't know what he values and I don't know what he honors and I don't know what his standards are and I don't know what his mission is and I don't know what his agenda is. Would, would that, that thought is dangerous to the Christian life. The thought that I could belong to a kingdom and serve a God that I might not even be fully aligned with. That I, not, that I may not even 
know all that I need to know. That there's a discovery that needs to take place. He goes on to say, verse 12, for uh, whoever has to him, more will be given and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because, watch this, seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear. And here it is, nor do they understand. Seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Therefore, they do not understand. My seeing and my hearing can be compromised. And when my seeing and hearing are compromised, my understanding is compromised. Got to understand and follow this connection. When I'm reading the word, When I'm hearing someone minister the word. Or even if I hear the voice of God by the Holy Spirit speaking directly to me. My response is dictated by my understanding. How can I respond to a voice I do not know? How can I obey a voice I do not give ear to? I do not acknowledge. One of the great things about children, and we've seen this, and those of you parents, you may have even seen this in your own lives, that you know, many times they'll come out of the womb recognizing voices. I mean, even Rebecca told me one time that her two girls recognize my voice now outside because they heard me so many times in here. Yeah, they even recognize their pastor's voice. Recognize mom and dad's voice. Voice recognition. And I'm not talking about Siri. I mean, even last night, Camden and I, we, we have this little uh, Alexa dot thing in our house. And those things are always listening, by the way. Anybody else had a conversation with somebody and then it shows up in your feed in Facebook? That's a little too personal for me. That's a little too scary. I wasn't even Googling it. I wasn't even, I was having a conversation with my mouth, not texting, not over the phone. And there it is the next day in my feed. Uh, we just thought you might happen to be interested in this. Anybody, anybody have that happen? Okay. I'm not the only one. They're not on to me. Big brother coming to get me. But even last night we learned, we learned that Alexa will learn your voice. It was, had the little yellow glow on it. And so I know that if it's glowing yellow, you say, Alexa, what are my notifications? Or whatever you want to tell me. I think it's called notifications. And she pops up and says, I just wanted you to know that I can learn your voice. If you would like to know how, just say, learn my voice. And so I said, okay, learn my voice. And she goes, is this Mark or Ashley? Okay. Little freaky. Where's the trash can? So I did the little thing. I said, this is Mark. It says, say these four statements. Alexa, what's the weather like tonight? Alexa, what's, what's the game or you know, what's the score in the sport or whatever, you know, just has you say these four statements. And so Camden's sitting there watching me and then he gets on and he goes, Alexa, learn my voice. And she goes, who's speaking? And he goes, Camden. And she says, say it again. He goes, Camden. She goes, okay, Camden, say these four states. So now she knows Camden's voice, my voice, and my wife's voice. Camden uses Alexa to help him with homework. (laughs) 
Am I lying? I'm not lying. One day we're in the other room. He's at the, the dinner table doing math homework, and he says, Alexa, what's 68 divided by four? Yeah, I'm not kidding you. So I'm just giving all the rest of you parents heads up. You don't just have to cover the answers in the back of the book anymore. You got to turn Alexa off. They will find a way. Don't you get any ideas, Kelvin? They already did. Already did. Voice recognition. I wonder what would happen if we responded to the voice of God that way. See, that's ultimately what Jesus is trying to get at. I mean, everybody wants the end goal. Everybody wants what Jesus came for. Life, life more abundantly. Yeah, that sounds awesome. A kingdom that would overthrow these worldly kingdoms. Yes, sign me up. To be one with God again. We've been separated for so long. Yes, We've heard about this. We've heard about this Messiah. We've heard about this anointing. We've heard about these prophecies. And we, are want, we want what you want for us. But then we disregard the channels through which God wants to bring it to our lives. And so he's given this parable at the top of all of his other parables. If you go throughout Matthew chapter 13, it's just parable after parable after parable after parable. The kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of God is like that. Because here's the thing, the enemy wants to hide God's word from you and God's will from you. And God, God, the enemy wants you to think that God puts sickness on people to teach them something. The enemy wants to twist that and wants you to think that. The enemy wants you to think that God sends people to hell. Well, he doesn't send them to hell. They choose to go there by not choosing him. The enemy wants you to think that the Holy Spirit has been done away with and that was for the book of Acts and that was for certain people. The enemy wants to disempower you by hiding certain things. But let me tell you this, God has also made his kingdom principles a mystery. But God doesn't hide it from you to keep it from you. God hides it to determine your desire for it. There's nothing that God wants to withhold from you. God is not in the withholding business. God is not in the keeping business. God is not in the business of keeping you away from the blessings and the provision and the promises that he has for you. He wants to see his plan fulfilled in your life. But if I don't understand and acknowledge truth, how can I walk in it? How can I live in it? How can I reveal it? How can I make those things come to pass that I don't even fully acknowledge in my life? I have to first understand I don't know it all, I don't have it all. I secondly have to yield my heart and yield my plan and yield my agenda to his. And then thirdly, I have to put myself in a position to recognize the voice of God. John chapter 10, he goes deeper with this. In John chapter 10. His disciples are essentially asking, why do you talk to them like that? Why, why are you... Why aren't you just teaching? Why aren't you just getting behind the podium and reading scripture like everybody else? Why, why are you uh, uh, saying all these weird stories and sharing all these weird things? But his disciples, see, you only ask that question if you want to know more. Nobody else asked. They just think, story time, that's awesome. He just... That's a great story, Jesus. But those that hunger and those that thirst for it, they come asking more questions. They come wanting to go deeper. We want more to be revealed. And in John chapter 10 and verse 1, 
He says it this way, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Look at this. For they know his voice. So he first identifies that you can hear my voice. But now he's taking it a step further of not just hearing the voice, but knowing the voice. Now we've had voices from the beginning. God has always used uh, verbiage and language and voices to what? To communicate to his people. Remember Adam and Eve? You remember them, right? The first people that ever walked the planet? I mean, I'm not, I don't mean remember like you had an acquaintance. I mean, from the Bible. Some of y'all look at me like, no, I've never met them. Okay. Let me clarify. Make sure we're all on the same page here. Amen. No, Adam and Eve, were able to receive instruction. He wasn't writing it down. He was giving his word to them. He was giving his voice to them. See, the word of God comes in two forms. There is his vocal voice, and then there's the written word. The written word is logos. In the Bible, it's logos. But his voice, his spoken word is rhema. And we have to be able to identify God's voice in both forms. I want to know God's voice through his word. I want to know that this is his perfect will. I want to know that this is his plan for me. I want to know that what is in here is truth. And if one thing's false, then all of it could be false. But I want to know that this is the truly written word of God. But then when he speaks to me, Do I still recognize the voice? Do I still know it's him? Do I still know he's speaking to me? Do I still know he's declaring things over me? Do you recognize God's voice? And I'm not even talking audibly. I'm talking the voice of God in the sense of his direction, his will, his plan. I mean, I hear all the time believers and Christians say, oh, I just wish I could hear God. Well, let me just give you, let me just help you solve that real quick. Even if you heard the voice of God, that does not automatically mean you would follow it. And I've got a book full of people that heard, even had angels or the Lord himself appear to them, but did not follow. Sometimes we think if I have greater clarity, I can better follow. No, you follow what you know. Clarity has nothing to do with it. Clarity has nothing to do with my following and my obedience to the word of God. And so he's helping us recognize I can hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. But then there's sheep that know his voice. Know his voice. Now, how do I get to know his voice? We'll go a little further. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse five, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not what? Know the voice of strangers. This is what we teach our kids, isn't it? We teach them to flee, avoid, abandon, neglect, Voices you do not recognize. I mean, I've told this story before, but there was one time we went to, uh, I think it was Disney. Camden couldn't have been more than two or three. And, uh, you know, as parents, 
especially in an environment like that, you're trying to keep your kids as close to you as possible and you tell them, do not leave me, stay by me, stay with me, don't go wandering off, don't go running around, right? And so he goes off and I'm aware and I see him kind of wandering off, taking a little stroll and I'm like, where's he going? And so I follow him, but I'm maybe about here to that speaker on the corner. And I'm, and I'm, I'm following him, but he's kind of just wandering. You know, he started out curious. It didn't take him very long to get scared. It didn't take him very long to recognize not just what was around him, but what wasn't around him. And now he's going, you know, looking. And then he, you, you see it, man. It just clicks on his face. Boom. Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. And I'm, I'm back, but I'm kind of, there's people walking between us. I've got my eyes, and I'm just following him. And he just starts, you know, he's freaking out, starts to cry. I go a little bit further because I'm that guy. <laughs> Don't judge me. I didn't go much further, but he's, he's crying. And all I had to do was say, Camden. Boom. In an instant. He didn't see my face. He didn't even know where I was immediately. But the second he heard my voice, it did something on the inside of him that says, okay, I'm not far. He's here somewhere. That's my dad. I know that voice. Anybody could have called his name out, but it was the voice of the one he knew. It was the voice of the one he had a relationship with. It was the voice of the one that he was familiar with and the voice of a stranger you will not follow. Now I've pointed this out before, but there may be some that haven't seen this, heard this. This is so important. When we look at this verse, many times we think shepherd, Jesus, stranger, devil, right? But those terms are relative. The shepherd is the voice you know. The stranger is the voice you don't. Not for everyone does it automatically align shepherd, Jesus, stranger, devil. For some people, the shepherd is the devil. For some people, the stranger is Jesus. That means I have become more familiar with the different voice. That means I have become, I have made Jesus's voice, the Holy Spirit's voice, a unfamiliar voice and an unrecognizable voice in my life. Amen. No, the goal is that Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want but he only leads those who listen. See, we put all the responsibility on Jesus. He's the shepherd. He's gonna lead me. He's gonna guide me. He's gonna tell me where to go. But how much time have we spent becoming familiar with him? Are we an us or are we a them? And even though he's revealing his will and even though he's speaking his purpose and even though he's speaking his word over my life, I don't recognize it. I don't see it. I have eyes to see, but I don't see. I have ears to hear, but I don't hear. That's why most of the time I pray over you and I say, Father, I pray that they'll have ears to hear and I pray that they'll have eyes to see. I pray that they'll have hearts that are receptive and teachable. I pray that they'll have minds ready to take in the word of God because I can do all the screaming, all the shouting, give you all the outlines, all the verses, all the notes. I can bust my brains out all week long putting this together. But if the soil is not ready, unprepared, and the shepherd's trying to lead you, but none of what I'm saying sounds familiar to you. It's unfamiliar. It's unfamiliar to you. God wants his voice to be familiar. Now, I'm not talking about familiarity. That's different. Familiarity is the opposite of teachable. Familiarity is the opposite of being teachable. Familiarity 
means that I've grown so accustomed to this voice that I don't give it the same value and focus and attention that I once did. Proverbs chapter four, you know it. It says, my son, give ear, give attention to my words, give attention to these sayings, give attention, give attention, pay attention. Remember that in school growing up? Pay attention, pay attention. Pay attention. Why? Because his word still demands focus. His word still demands attention. His word still demands value. I tell you, one of the greatest hindrances to hearing the voice of God is a lack of value for the word of God. When I don't place a proper value, like here we are, February, first Sunday in February, and I hope, I had someone asking me today for a Bible reading plan, and if we don't have any more, we'll get some more printed. You've got to be in the word of God. God's word spoken and God's word written are not anything different. And one doesn't replace the other. Well, I don't need to hear God's voice. I have his word. I don't need a pastor to teach me. I have his word. Nope, it's not a replacement. It's a supplement. They work with each other. They work in tandem. And then the other way around. The voice of God is not a replacement. Well, I go to church every Sunday. My pastor read me verses. I saw it on the screen. I highlighted it in my Bible in church. But then this doesn't get opened again until next Sunday. They work together. The voice of God and the word of God work together. So if there's no value here, one way or the other, then it hinders and compromises our ability to receive the word of God. And one of the greatest dangers the Bible tells us is that we would be hearers only and not doers. That verse goes on to say that we actually deceive ourselves. What's a deceived life? Someone that thinks because they heard they are. Hearing is not the same as receiving. In fact, if I walk you back to Matthew 13 and walk you through the parable of the sower, if you look at that remaining there, you'll actually find in all four instances it says, and when the individual heard the word. The wayside was the individual that heard the word. The stony ground was the individual that heard the word. The word that got choked up was an individual that heard the word. And then the individual on the good soil was one that hears the word and receives. They all heard the word. You know what that passage tells me? All four of those types of soil go to church. They're sitting on your row. Yeah. Hearing the word is but the first step to obeying the word. How does the word transform my life? That's why I've always said, it's not the word that you hear that changes your life. It's the word you do. It's the word you receive. It's the word that you've gone and you've prepared your heart. And, 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 and then the other thing too, is we will build voices. We'll collect voices throughout our lives. Voices that we allow to speak into us. Ver uh, voices that we allow to, to speak over us. Voices of condemnation and voices of doubt and, and voices that, that counteract what the word says and, and voices that are not even scriptural or biblical anymore. We, we, we have these collection of voices and the Holy Spirit's not gonna shout over all of our voices. You know what's interesting about Genesis chapter one and chapter two and chapter three? 
is even in the midst of having the voice of God, there was always an opposite voice. Even in a perfect environment, paradise, the Garden of Eden, no sin. We, we cannot think that because we're in an environment that seems safe, that there still won't be voices that will counteract or challenge the voice of God. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith comes by hearing in whatever you hear, you build your faith on. Come on now. Eve that day, Genesis chapter three, built faith in what the devil said. She had a word from God. Tend this garden, take care of this garden, cultivate this garden. Bring my kingdom to the earth, rule and reign. I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you full control. But then another voice comes up. And first she gave ear to it. She listened to it. Then she engaged with it, had a conversation with, and then ultimately acted out what the other voice said. She applied Romans 10, 17, just to the wrong voice. Faith comes by hearing and then hearing by the word of the enemy, by the opposite word. That's why voice recognition is so important. That's why knowing the voice of God and knowing the word of God is so vital and so valuable. Jesus goes on to say, in verse six, Jesus used this illustration, watch this, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. Two different voices, two different agendas. But the sad part is, is we follow the voice, not because of its agenda, but because of its familiarity. We follow the voice, not because of its mission, but because we have lended our ear to it time after time after time. I can tell you right now, wherever you have ended up in life, you are there because of a voice you followed. Good or bad. You're there. You only end up where the voice you follow leads you. You, cannot, you can't end up in God's mission if you f- keep following the voice of the enemy. You can't wind up in the middle of God's will while obeying and giving ear to what the enemy wants. You can't wind up in healing for your body if we continue to allow the word from the enemy, the twisted, perverted word from the enemy regarding sickness and disease. It's impossible. It's the word. He sent his word and healed them, the Bible says, and delivered them from all their diseases. I tell people all the time, any struggle or any challenge you're going through, get the word on it. That simply means, that's not a churchy thing. That just simply means get what God says about it. Because you know what? He has something to say about it. Depression, he's got something to say about it. Fear, he's got something to say about it. Sickness and disease, he's got something to say about it. Financial lack and poverty, he's got something to say about it. Broken relationships, he's got something to say about it. Generational curses, he's got something to say about it. Raising your kids, he's got something to say about it. Taking care of your business, he's got something to say about it. What is God saying on the matter? But if I lend my ear to the wrong voice, 
I lend my life to the wrong direction. My life only follows the voice I listen to. We got one that wants to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you think, man, I mean, how easy. Look at his mission. But it doesn't look like that on the surface. On the surface, it looks like convenience. On the surface, it looks like comfort. In the surface, it looks like I'm taking care of you. On the surface, it looks like, oh, it's okay. It's just one more time. On the surface, that doesn't look like steal, kill, and destroy. And then sometimes we disregard God's voice, which leads us to life and life more abundantly because on the surface, it doesn't look like life. It looks like, God, you're taking this away. God, you're removing this from my life. God, you're breaking this apart. He says, no, 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 I'm just setting you up, man. It's a stepping stone to the next thing. It's not a setback, it's a set up. It might seem like, but I'm putting the seed in the ground and the struggle and the toil may come, but one day you will come through the ground and you will produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. You can't reject it because of what it looks like on the surface. But ultimately, he wants to bring you life and life more abundantly. But it all begins with this this value and this attention. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Now we're going a little bit deeper. Now we're going beyond just knowing a voice to knowing a person. Now he's saying, they don't just know my voice. They actually know me. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Further on down, verse 26. Verse 26. He identifies this. But you, as I send they my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The voice you know is the voice you follow. But I want to read you verse 14 in the amplified version. I want you to see this. This is where we want to wrap up today. New King, or in the New King James, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. The Amplified, it reads it this way. I am the good shepherd and I know without any doubt those who are my own and my own know me, watch this, and have a deep personal relationship with me. The danger many times in church, in religion, in Christianity, in our faith, is understanding the difference between knowing something and knowing someone. Is recognizing that am I learning more about God or am I learning more of God? Am I just getting to know about him or am I really getting to know him. Are you with me? Any relationship, its value and its priority is always uh, 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 placed in knowing someone, not just knowing about them. There was a day where I knew about my wife, but there was a day where I decided I didn't just want to know about her. I wanted to know her. Wanted to get to know her. 
And as a result of knowing her, guess what I learned? I learned about her. It's a byproduct. See, when we come to God just for information alone, when we come to God just to get to know stuff, when we come to God saying, God, fix my marriage, fix my family, fix my job, fix my finances, fix my body, when we come to God for stuff, we are relegating him to a level he was never designed to have a relationship with us on. And now I miss out on everything. Matthew chapter 7, he identifies this. In Matthew chapter 7, he identifies people that only know about him. He identifies what people look like, what people do, and what ultimately the relationship looks like, what the end goal becomes. Beginning with verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who what? does the will of my Father in heaven. Here's the question I have. From knowing his voice and hearing his word, what are you doing different? What's different? Apparently, I should have a different response. Apparently, my actions change. Apparently, my attitudes change. Apparently, what I produce with my life and what I represent with my life is different from those that don't know him. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Those all sound like signs of someone that's a follower of Christ. Those all sound like actions that would follow uh, 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 someone that claims to be a follower of Christ. But he goes on to say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and read this in the New Living, beginning with verse 1, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Worship team, if you'd come. There should be no disconnect. There should be no disconnect. Knowing his word, knowing him, and following his word are all connected. Knowing his word, following his voice, hearing his voice should change what I do. My relationship with the Father, my relationship is not built on changing my actions or uh, religiously becoming legalistic or, or, or living a certain way so that God can do certain things for me. You know who are the ones that rejected Jesus? The ones that knew the word the most. You know, the ones that Jesus had the hardest time getting through to, the ones that Jesus had the hardest time making himself known to, the the ones that Jesus had the hardest time getting to follow him were the ones that had a bunch of information, the ones that had a bunch of just being informed of God. But Jesus turns to 12 disciples that knew him more intimately than anybody else. And he says, to you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Man, 
man, I, I would hate that in all the accumulation of knowledge and all the wealth of information that we have, that it's only brought us further away from him rather than closer to him. That was the result for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That was the result for the teachers of the law. That was the result. They didn't know him. They thought they knew about him. They thought their information replaced revelation. But I'm here to tell you today that God wants you to live on a different level. God wants you to live on a greater level. God wants you to live on a deeper level. God wants you to live on a more intimate level. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.